Caring for your pets in the world today takes everything you got. Spending an hour with the experts sure could help a lot. Welcome to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show Podcast, a program all about caring for your animal companions. Now, here's our hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. This is a story of famous dog. For the dog that chases its tail, we'll be busy. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Lee, life treating you okay? Yeah, Rick, I got a chance to take a few days off of work and take a break and spend time with my family and get some relaxation in, and it felt great, and I'm so grateful to you because while I was doing that, you were still working and you booked a great show for us this week, and I can't thank you enough for for not just finding a guest, but finding a really good one and a new one that we've never talked to before. <laughs> So I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, I'm out on the field, so to speak, out there right. in the masses uh, working with them. And a woman I started working with because she wants an outdoor water garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just hit it off well. And we're spending a lot of time working on her project and making it special. And in the midst of it, uh, we're communicating back and forth. I've got to give an estimate back to her. She gives me her business card, and um, Canines for Change came up on the card, and I was like very inquisitive of that. And evidently, it came up uh, before COVID as well, and I just don't remember it. But she had evidently, uh, she and I had talked previous about getting on the show, but. now we're past COVID, and um, she's coming in, and we're talking, and we're talking about this pond. And uh, I just started asking her questions about what this is, and her life is dedicated to training dogs that can then go out and help the public. And you know, whether it's autism, uh, she's—it sounds like she's very focused towards children, mm-hmm. helping them out, uh, helping out those ex-military people that come back and um, PTSD. have PTSD. And, yep. I, you know, we, we have found uh, it's less about the military or autism or anything. It's the human fabric that we all live in is that, you know, we're all made of quilts that uh, tend to have broken fibers. Right. And uh, the one thing that she, I think, cues very strongly in is noticing that these pets that we think of, our dog that's sitting next to our side right now, are also animals that can really help in mending that, you know, broken fiber uh, from young to old. Well, what's intriguing is uh, her background. She was a a school teacher or school psychologist and worked with young people. But as a young person, she was very involved with working with horses and working with dogs and training. And I think that she just basically put two and two together and said, I'll be darned, that's four. And she just had exactly the right idea of what to go with, but it is a tough path to four because the truth is, as a non-profit 
company, it's hard to come up with the money to do all this because there's a lot involved with breeding the dogs, training the dogs, maintaining the dogs. I mean, you know better than anybody. Well, and I'd like people to listen in on this particular show because it's local. It's somebody that's doing something that really moves our community. Right, Grand Lodge. And honestly, uh, being a nonprofit, it's a it's an effort. It's an exercise in greatness that needs our local support financially. So, uh, I guess uh, certainly listen to with your heart. Uh, but I'd also say in this situation, if there's one thing I've gotten connected to with her is it's a real deal. It's right. a real reason for somebody that wants to have some philanthropy to exercise. This is this is the real deal. Well, you're going to meet Dr. Nikki Brown, the executive director from Canines for Change, and we're going to have that conversation this morning right here on 1320 WILS. At Doggy Daycare and Spa, we love dogs. We love hanging out with dogs, grooming dogs, and kissing dogs goodnight. 20 years ago, we introduced MidMichigan to Doggy Daycare. We've built two custom facilities and provided countless clients and their dogs with the very best in cageless daycare, boarding, and grooming services. Stop in for a tour at either one of our convenient locations in Delta Township on Mount Hope Highway or on the corner of Grand River and Cornell and Okemos. Give us a call at 333-WOOF. That's 333-9663 and let us love your dog. Doggy Daycare and Spa, where the hip hounds hang out. At Liberty Coins in Frandor, happy customer stories happen almost every day. In June, a woman came in to purchase some silver. She said she had inherited a gallon-sized bag of jewelry from her mother several years ago. It was lying in a drawer at home because she thought they were all costume pieces. The employee suggested she bring in the bag to get it checked out, which she did the next day. The customer guessed she might receive $500. Instead, she was stunned when Liberty paid her more than $17,000. What hidden treasures might you have? Pick up a free copy of our Cash in Your Treasures brochure in our store or view it online at libertycoinservice.com. For 50 years, Liberty Coins and Frandor has been the right place to go. I'm Tom Colson reminding you to put cash in your pocket today. We're Liberty Coins, we're right on the money. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us on the line a first-time guest. Her name is Dr. Nikki Brown, and she is the executive director of an organization called Canines for Change. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nikki. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Uh, can you explain to us how this organization came to being and you became a part of it? Sure. Um Back in 2005, I was a school psychologist with the Lansing School District, which I still am, but I was working at Beekman Center, and I had just gotten started there, and I had a corgi named Harley that I took to work with me every day, and he made such a huge difference with the students. He was used by the therapists, the occupational therapists, and physical therapists, speech paths, um, to use with the kids in trying to meet their IEP goals, which is an individualized education plan for special ed kids. And sometimes they would have difficulty getting the kids to want to participate with their 
specific goals like throwing a ball or you know kicking a ball or you know movement and things like that and the kids would really get engaged when Harley was there and they could throw a ball for Harley and he would bring it back or they could walk the dog and you know give him treats and things so it really made a difference in the therapist's goals and then we had lots of behavior issues at Beekman and that the dog being there helped with that. Kids would work toward um, time with Harley as a behavioral incentive, and then staff would come to my office and say, can I just sit here with your dog? It's been kind of a rough day. So, uh, you know, he was helping staff and students. And then parents started to ask how they could get a dog for their kids at home because they noticed the change in behavior and things like that. So that's when Gladys Cataline and I began, uh, she also worked for the school district at the time, we began talking about can we do service dogs for these kids because at that time people didn't do service dogs for kids. It was only adults. Interesting. And we worked with lots of kids who had autism. Um, and people were not, organizations were not really doing that either at that time. And and you've gone a few steps past that because to go from there where you're mainly thinking about and acting on um, the way kids think to the way dogs think and actually go to the level of training dogs for that purpose, there has to be, have been a learning curve and an opportunity to kind of study more and get more in-depth into that. Talk to us a little bit about that story. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of a uh, – I worked with police dogs and did police dog training when I was in my, oh, let's see, 20s and 30s. And so that's where it started. When I was a kid, I did uh, quarter horse training and showing on the circuit all around the country. So dog training kind of came naturally after horse training when I couldn't afford to keep horses myself and went (laughs) off to college. So I realized how expensive they were, thanks to my parents profusely, and then uh, for allowing me that opportunity, and then got into dog training with the police department. Um, And then at the same time, I was finishing my Ph.D. at Western, and there were lots of classes that I took that were you know, revolving around behaviorism and behavior theory and behavior analysis and that kind of stuff. So we trained rats and pigeons and chickens there. Um, and, and, you know, behavior training is behavior training. And being a school psychologist, lots of my classes uh, centered around cognitive behavior therapy and training, you know, training for kids too. It's interesting that you come at this dog training exercise from a unique angle from dog trainers we've had on the show before. I mean, I would say that historically, dog trainers that have come on the show before, uh, by and large, are interested in just generalized dog training for people that are having problems with their dogs. And they tend to come into just a couple, three camps of how to go about doing that. And I'm just curious, from your vantage point, coming at it, looking at, I want to train these dogs to be particularly helpful to humans. And they still have the same potential issues that all dog trainers confront from, uh, and, and, and I guess what I'm getting at is, we correct me if I'm wrong, Lee, but uh, it just seems like the two pools are either I need to be alpha dog right, or um, I need to be kind clicker. of clicker, clicker training. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm just curious <laughs> that we, we get somebody on the show that 
is going to have a perspective coming at it from how can we get the most out of this animal to provide benefit to humans. I'm just wondering if you could share with us your insight on dog training. Yes, well, that's definitely a good question because all of the dog trainers that I know have different philosophies, as you said. But I guess we train our trainers to be kind of in the middle. So I think clicker training has its place for sure. I think it's wonderful for a specific kind of dog. Uh, and I think it's wonderful to do certain kinds of training tasks. But I also think that there is a component of uh, the alpha dog piece that's necessary. What I have found with the dogs is we use golden doodles and Labradors and some German Shepherds, but not very often. They tend to be too protective and clingy to their person because they're spending, you know, every moment with them. Um, And when they sense they're sick, they tend to get more defensive of them. So that kind of is a bit of an issue sometimes, but I find that they're, the labs and the golden doodles are very easy to train, but they can also be stubborn, particularly the labs and the golden doodles can get really excited and want to play and then run off to do something else that they've, they'd rather be doing rather than learning how to push the button to call 911 or push a button on inside the house that unlocks the door for EMS. And so you have to have that alpha part of control to say, okay, we need to stop being silly now and get this done because you have to do this behavior. And unfortunately, training is rote learning. So they have to do it, you know, lots and lots and lots of times in a fake setting so that when they go to their families, and the family is obviously a new person for them, not a skilled dog trainer, um, not a, you know, necessarily an alpha sort of a person, we need to make sure that the dog is going to do that for anybody, the tasks and things that we've taught them. And so you have to have a a relationship with them that's built through positive motivation. Lots of, we use lots and lots of treats. Um, We use lots and lots of pets and things like that. Um, You know, loving them up and, and positive motivation is important, but there's also a time when you have to say, uh, no, we're not going to run around the yard and no, you're not going to, you know, drop the medicine bag. That's really important that this person needs right away so that you can go sniff over there or, you know, go visit somebody that happens to be walking by if you're going to get help in a store. And so that requires an alpha presence uh, and some different training collars and techniques that we use for a small part of our training program. Now, Dr. Nikki, let's talk a little bit about uh, service dog training for people who might not be as familiar with it. Because when you think about it, when you talk to a general dog trainer, we're working on sit, we're working on stay, we're working on uh, give me your paw, things like that. But when you're training a service dog, what kinds of tasks are you specifically trying to train them to do? I mean, what are dogs capable of doing in terms of actual tasks? Right. Uh, Well, that's a good question, and it depends on what the family needs. Um, Some of our clients have epilepsy, and so they need the dog to go get help when they've had a seizure. And seizures are different for everybody who who has them. So if you have a grand mal seizure or you have a seizure while you're standing up, a drop attack or something, and you fall, we teach the dog that when the person falls, 
they can do one of two things. Um, they can push a button if you're, you know, at home and the dog is confined in a hotel room or at home or a friend's house. Um, there's a canine rescue button that the dog can hit, which calls whoever the family decides they want to call first. It can be EMS. It can be a parent, you know, a loved one, a spouse, whatever. And then if someone does that in a public setting, like, you know, a store, a grocery store or the mall or the bank, then the dog knows to go up to the nearest person and start nudging them and then lead them back to their person. We call that go get help. Hmm. Interesting. And, and then we've trained dogs to track autistic kids um, and reminders to take medication, uh, lots of things. So uh, right now, for instance, uh, how many dogs are you working with and how many clients are waiting for the dogs that you're working on? Um, we recertify our dogs every year, so we offer free training for people to come back and tune up their dogs if they need to and be recertified. We don't certify them once and then done because I feel like if people aren't keeping up with the work on their dogs, mm -hmm. even just the obedience in public and things like that, the dogs aren't automatically you know, going to do the same thing that we trained them to do when we gave them to the person for the rest of their life. So they need to be kept up on their tasks and obedience and things like that. So we have lots of people, probably, I don't know, probably 30 clients that we work with every year that recertify. Um, and then we are training three dogs for the Epilepsy Foundation right now in Pittsburgh. We do that every year. They have an endowment, and we provide them with three dogs every year. And the Grand Lodge School District is uh, going to be getting nine dogs from us this uh, August, one for each school building that they have to be a facility dog, which means the dog will be trained to work with the kids, lay quietly, uh, go on walks with them, be able to, the kids will be able to read to them, they'll be able to earn time with them, and just kind of like the the part that I talked about with Harley, my therapy dog, early on, only this dog will be trained to work for the whole building, and they're called facility dogs. They'll be owned by the district and handled by the um, staff member that the district chooses in that building. And I assume that that staff member will take the animal home with them, and yep. it would be a part of their family when school yep. is not in session. So, uh, yep, I'm sorry? Yep, exactly. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Uh, now, let's talk about the amount of time that it takes because uh, for some people, I mean, you can go through, again, for sit, stay, give your paw. Uh, that's something that can probably be done in a few hours or a few weeks, whereas the training you're doing is much more extensive. From the time that you find out what a family needs the animal to do to the time when the animal is ready to be dispatched to the family or the location. How much time is involved in that degree of training? Depending on what the dog is um, going to need to do, it's usually six months to a year. But we have a, a different, we, we start training our dogs at about eight weeks. We have our own breeding program, and then we also get puppies from some of the trusted breeders that we have if we don't have our own. And we start training them at eight weeks with our puppy raisers. 
So when we come with a person who comes to us and says, I need a dog to help me do these tasks, typically we've got a dog that is, you know, maybe 9, 10 to 12 months, and then we start training that specific task for the, for the family for the next probably six months. So it's about a year to a year and a half. And dogs have to be a year old to be certified as a service dog anyway, and most dogs aren't ready to do that until they're about a year and a half. And what number of dogs does it take to create one dog that can cooperate and do the things you want them to do? <laughs> uh, sometimes I wish I could take the parts of three or four and put them all together. And then I, have to... <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> just like humans, exactly right. Yeah, it, it's definitely, you always do find pieces. Uh, it, it would be nice. But uh, we're we're talking this morning with... Dr. Nikki Brown, who is the executive director of Canines for Change. And Dr. Nikki, we need to take our first break. But after we come back from the break, can you go through with us and help our listeners understand how, how much need is there out in the world today? I mean, is this, is this something that we have more than enough animals for, that we don't have nearly enough for? And, I mean, help us to understand the situation as you see it. And we'll have that conversation with Dr. Nikki Brown right after the break on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320. W-I-L-S. If you can't find what your pet needs on planet Earth, have you considered finding a new planet? Of all nearby curios, there is one world where pets reign supreme. A planet where bright blue aquariums stretch as far as the eye can see. Where fresh and saltwater fish of all colors dance before happy customers. A planet where tarantulas and toads dart just out of sight, peeking up from the undergrowth at smiling visitors. A planet where birds from half a world away sing day and night, calling out to curious shoppers. A planet where turtles plod along during daily treks to the watering hole. A planet with pet supplies aplenty, enough to care for any kind of pet in any home, with friendly employees to help you find just what you need. A planet made exclusively for your pets. Welcome to Planet Bruce. Don't just get a pet, get a Bruce pet. Sally Babbitt wants to help you plan for your pets. So it's very important that as a pet owner, we take care of two things. Come up with a succession plan for who's going to take those pets and also come up with a way to fund that. Sally Babbitt will work with you to make sure your pets find a loving home in the event of your death or incapacity. Because we all know, for example, I have a, a beautiful Great Dane and she's wonderful, but she also has some special health problems. So I understand that to have someone take her in is fine, but that's also a financial burden on them. And so I would need to think about setting aside maybe some money to take care of that animal and going further, how far do we go with our pet's care? when we're gone. Plan for your pet's future with Babbitt Legal. I am on West St. Joe Highway, 6005 West St. Joe. I am just conveniently located a quarter mile from the Big B. 517-507-3306.
We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Dr. Nikki Brown, who is the Executive Director of Canines for Change. And Dr. Nikki, prior to the break, I had asked the question, how big of a need is there for service animals in the world? I mean, we, we read newspaper stories about things that happen on airline flights, typically, and you hear a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, we've also heard a lot about the children and working with children, whether in the court system or in the schools or the hospitals. But give us an understanding from your perspective, how big of an industry is this? And do we have the capability of satisfying all the need that exists out there? Well, I think there's a huge need. I think there are not enough dogs. Uh, I think people would really like to be able to using to be using shelter dogs more frequently, but it's very difficult. Probably for every hundred dogs you would come across in a shelter, maybe one has what it takes to be a certified service dog. And there's a whole lot that goes into that. We do major health screenings. Uh, you know, we want to get as much opportunity for these dogs to work as possible. And dogs already have a shorter lifespan. I think that's why some people use miniature horses, because you can use them for 35 years and you can use a dog for 10 if you're lucky. Uh, and if they're two, by the time they have to be certified, you know, then the dog is 12 by the time it's ending its life. So as a service dog, I mean. Um, but I think there's a huge need. We have veterans in our program that just having the dog wake them up during night terrors, um, reminding for meds, um, you know, just things that are related to anxiety and post-traumatic stress, picking stuff up for them, helping with balance issues, um, TBI, traumatic brain injuries. They just can't say enough about how huge the difference is that the dog has made in their life. And, you know, we have many, many, many veterans that are in need of assistance and just not enough dogs. And then, the, you know, the medical side and children with autism, I think it's, it's a huge industry uh, with not enough funding. Let's go back a little bit um, because we have the time here. When you um, started this road of, you know, first it was with Harley, you know, and opening your eyes to the idea of, man, these dogs can really provide some benefit to humans' life. Talk about a, an incident or a event or a dog that came along or an exercise with a dog that came along that kind of helped, you know, that, that might be memorable to you that maybe sharing with the public can give them an idea or an insight as to why you do what you do. Well, there are two stories that come to mind. Uh, one is a young man who was five or six when we started working with him. His name is David. And we provided a lab with the family. He was adopted and had been a drug baby and born addicted and had several huge issues. He had to be on oxygen. He had a trach. And he was, um, wasn't in a wheelchair, but he was very unsteady in his gait. And his parents really, really wanted him to be able to go to school in a normal kindergarten classroom, first grade classroom. But he had to be on this oxygen, and the oxygen tank cord, you know, they had it in the, the classroom, and the, the 
tube for the oxygen tank had to follow David around the room. So there was like a 30-foot cord behind him. And when I went into the school district, kids were stepping on it, and David didn't feel like he could run or move quickly like his other friends were doing because he had this tube stuck to him for his oxygen, and uh, he had a lot going on. So we trained Venture, his lab, to carry this oxygen tank, actually, too, on a saddlebag-type vest that he had made, uh, that the, the dad had made for him. And just watching David go from kind of the weird kid with all these tubes hanging out of him to the really cool kid in school who had this stuff, <laughs> you know, that everybody wanted to be part of, petting and touching and being around, um, and giving him the freedom to move around and to... Uh, I don't know, just be a kid, that really, really touched me. And seeing the difference in him socially, physically, uh, you know, and we he's venture still working for him today. Well, I hope your next story isn't just as emotional because otherwise I'm just going to be here in the uh, studio crying. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, can you? We have lots of those, believe me. Um, I'll see if and, I can find some the, tissue. wow that is just so moving uh please tell us the next one please uh we have martin uh diller who's one of our veterans and martin came back after nine years of service and he had been in two tours and he came back just not able to function in society very well. So he started volunteering for us. He just happened to find us through um, one of our trainers who used to work at the Humane Society. <clears throat> and he came and started working some of the dogs. We like to have people come in and be what we call friendly strangers to our dogs and work them in our obedience classes so the dogs get used to working with a different person. And so they um he really hit it off with a couple of the dogs he was uh, particularly enamored with a white poodle named abby which i thought was interesting because here's this white poodle and this you know big (laughs) military yeah military guy who is looking all you know buff and all that kind of stuff and manly and he just fell in love with this white poodle abby (laughs) and he went from not wanting to leave his house, being suicidal and depressed, to um, absolutely, you know, coming out to classes. And Abby is his confidant. You know, she's with him all the time. She is, he's part of a a bowling group now. He's part of um, our training club. He's become a trainer. Abby wakes him up during night terrors and allows him to kind of regroup. He was doing some damage to himself when he was having these night terrors. So it was much uh, needed, I think, for her to be able to be with him. And to hear him talk about how she's changed his life and the difference that he's made for him in terms of just having a friend and having someone there who kind of doesn't judge and is there for him when he's anxious, helps him lead through crowds if he gets in a crowded area. Um, it just, it's, it's really, it's really a heart filling kind of thing to see that you've made a difference in somebody's life by making this dog, you know, into something that can be his best friend. Wow. Yeah. Is, is Abby a standard poodle? Is he? Uh, yes. She, yep. She's a standard she's poodle. She's a standard yep. poodle. Yeah. 
Wow, that, nice. that is interesting. Now, Dr. Nikki, let's let me ask this because you talk about the age of the animals, and and the only thing that I'm having difficulty wrapping my head around is, in my experience with puppies, they usually have a hard time settling down much before the age of like three or four years old. And these dogs that you're having to put out are having to do that. How do you find that and how do you train for that? Because uh, I've pretty much settled for the fact <laughs> that life isn't going to be normal wait with a out. puppy until at least age four. So tell me well, the secret. I have secret. some tricks for you. Yes, I have some tricks for you. Okay. Um, I think that uh, the, the biggest thing that we do, especially from being, um, you know, a school psychologist where we have to teach kids to sort of rein in the ADD and the ADHD and, you know, medication helps, but there's also a need for therapy to teach them behavior techniques on how to keep themselves, you know, under control and focused. And we do a lot from the very beginning. That's why we start with puppies when they're eight weeks. We do a whole lot of rewarding for a calm behavior and a calm mind. So Caesar Milan used to talk about um, calm, assertive energy, that people should be giving their dogs that calm, assertive energy and sort of a pack leader, follow me, do what I do, kind of a feel um, and a vibe to the dog. And we really use that. I believe in that 100%. So whenever your dog is laying there calm, just, you know, sitting or laying down next to you on the couch, you can use your clicker and you, or you can just say yes the same thing and then give a treat to reward that emotional state and when they are bouncing all over the place and acting all crazy if it's not playtime that you've signified to them that okay the vest is coming off even if you're a puppy we're taking the vest off you go play and be a dog we're putting the vest on now you need to be calm relaxed uh, lay down and we give tons and tons of hugs and pets and treats and all of that for just that calm state of mind Gotcha. So the vest is like work clothes. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Well, we're talking today with Dr. Nikki Brown, and Dr. Nikki, we need to take one more break. But when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk with you about the cost of training these dogs and how you all go about getting the funds that it takes to do that in any fundraising uh, or volunteerism that you need. And we'll have that conversation with Dr. Nikki Brown from Canines for Change right after the break on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. 1320 WILS. If you can't find what your pet needs on planet Earth, have you considered finding a new planet? Of all nearby curios, there is one world where pets reign supreme. A planet where bright blue aquariums stretch as far as the eye can see. Where fresh and saltwater fish of all colors dance before happy customers. A planet where tarantulas and toads dart just out of sight, peeking up from the undergrowth at smiling visitors. 
A planet where birds from half a world away sing day and night, calling out to curious shoppers. A planet where turtles plod along during daily treks to the watering hole. A planet with pet supplies aplenty, enough to care for any kind of pet in any home, with friendly employees to help you find just what you need. A planet made exclusively for your pets. Welcome to Planet Bruce. Don't just get a pet, get a Bruce pet. We're back here on the Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning with Dr. Nikki Brown, Executive Director of Canines for Change. And Dr. Nikki, we've heard the stories now of some situations where some of these service dogs have been able to make a difference in the program that you put them through. And the idea that's floating around in my head is it sounds like there's probably a lot of money that it's involved in doing all that you have to do and as a nonprofit organization that sounds like a tough chore so how much is it and how do you go about generating those funds in order to pay for everything well that's our biggest hurdle for sure as every nonprofit struggles with um, it's about twenty thousand dollars to maintain from you know from our breeding stock to uh, all the way through the life of the dog and the support that we give the families and the dogs throughout their training career. So, yes, that is a huge amount of money. We don't expect our clients to raise that money. We certainly um, help them with fundraising. We try to get out in the community. We have a golf outing that's coming up on uh, August 21st at uh, Falk Metal Shores in Howell. Um, so there'll be more information on our website, caninesforchange.org, and our Facebook page about that and registering. And the COVID really hit us pretty hard. We weren't able to do any of our gala, the gala we usually have every year. Uh, we weren't able to do our golf outing, and certainly it was difficult to raise funds during that time. So um, we are... You know, counting on the community to help us kind of get back in the swing of things. The Grand Lodge School District has been um, helpful in doing that with getting some of the word out to Grand Lodge. And so that's been helpful. But really, if what we need to do now since we're growing is to be able to uh, increase to having staff members rather than just strictly volunteers, which is what we've been doing now uh, for the last 15 years. So... We also need to build a building because we're growing and we would like to be able to provide more dogs to more people. We have a very long waiting list and we are unable to get to many of those people within a year or two like we would like to because of the you know, funds that we need. So if people are interested in donating a memorandum or an honorarium or a monthly donor program, they can go to our website, click on the donate button, and then you can follow, you know, the instructions there of how you would like to donate. Uh, calling me directly uh, to discuss, you know, opportunities that people would like to volunteer. We are always in need of volunteer puppy raisers. Uh, people to come to class, as I was talking about, being the friendly stranger so that they, they would just show up to our obedience classes or our training classes and work the dogs for us. And you don't have to have any training necessary because most of our clients don't have training, you know, dog training skills when they come to us. So we want the dogs to have to work with people 
uh, kids, even we about 10 to, to 15 years old, just to have them come with parents to work the dogs. Um, also, volunteers 16 or over can come, you know, on their own and help work the dogs, walk them, bathe them, uh, you know, participate in obedience, as I said, and sometimes doing task training, too. We need people who are willing to pretend to have a seizure or have a fall, um, you know, any of those things, so that the dogs get used to working for strangers. And um, can you give us a general orientation as to where you're located so that uh, mom thinking about getting in her car and taking her kids out to help you out, how far will she be traveling? Where will she find you? Sure. Uh, usually we do our training classes, as I said, we, we don't have a building right now, but usually we do our training classes at Tractor Supply on Grand River in Lansing, just down from the Humane Society. We've also worked at uh, Mount Hope Park. It's a new park they built in Delta Township. And right now our main kennel, which is located at uh, my house, houses about five of our dogs at a time, and that is in Grand Lodge. Gotcha. Okay, so it's pretty local to this mid-Michigan area uh, that you mostly get your people from. Uh, How far away are your, I, I don't know the customers is the right word, but the people who you're helping, are they typically from the mid-Michigan area as well? Not necessarily. We have um, clients that if they are out of state and are willing to travel here to do the training, we have a client in New Mexico and other clients that are out of state that come here to train. So as long as they're willing to come for a couple of training Uh, sessions that are about a week long each time, then we can accommodate them. We have some clients in Pittsburgh, but typically the majority of our clients are within, you know, like a two-hour drive of here. Sure. Now, Dr. Nikki, if I were to give you the requisite magic wand and say to you that you can turn this organization into whatever you choose for it to be, Give us an idea. What would it look like? How big would it become? And uh, how would you go about doing it? One of the things that I like about our organization is that it's very individualized. So other training organizations uh, for service dogs tend to train the specific tasks, or I'm sorry, the same general tasks for people, and then do a week-long training. We try really hard to have people come and be part of the training process throughout that six months or a year as they can, each individual person, so that we can train the dogs specifically to do exactly what they need based on what their seizure looks like, their PTSD symptoms, their, um, you know, their, their characteristics of autism. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want this to be, you know, a, a really huge organization so it becomes impersonal or too general and not specific. But I would certainly absolutely love to have a a building where we could house the dogs that we need and and have a staff. So I guess that would be, that's my ultimate dream, to be able to buy a couple of acres locally, put up a building, and uh, have a few staff members that can work full-time to devote to this really needed task. All of our volunteers are wonderful. They've been committed and they're great. But, you know, they're volunteers, and so they have other jobs that they have to attend to. So if we could have enough money to pay uh, some staff members so that they would be 100% devoted to just this and not outside jobs, 
that would be wonderful. We could provide so many more dogs and help so many more families in need. So in, in some ways it reminds me uh, of the idea that let's build that model that we feel proud of and feel should be emanating, um, you know, our passions to the community and then let others see that, understand it, respect it, and then emulate that in other communities. Is that fair enough? Uh, Yes, that would be lovely. We would love to have some satellite offices and things like that where we could pass the model on. Absolutely. 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 Interesting. So now if people are interested in volunteering or they're interested in donating money, can you give us, again, the website information, the Facebook information? Where do they go? How do they do it? Sure. They go to caninesforchange.org, and that's all spelled out, Um, C-A-N-I-N-E-S-F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G.org. We have a new website that's coming, so hopefully we'll be able to find that donate button easier and the volunteer um, forms and the blog and the button to ask questions. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook. If you just search Canines for Change, all spelled out, you'll find us there. We would love for people to share stories about their own pet dogs and how their dogs have helped them. Maybe in an informal service dog capacity, we hear stories all the time of dogs who are able to identify seizures in their in their uh, humans before they happen and things like that and we love to post stories about that Uh, and they can also contact me directly my phone number is on the website Okay, well, Dr. Nikki Brown, we want to thank you so much for coming on today and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to spread the word. Oh, it's our, it was our pleasure. And, Rick, I'm sorry to say we've got no more time for this week, but we will be back on next weekend. So in the meantime, on behalf of our producer, Grant LaFave and Rick Pruce, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend ahead. And we'll talk next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, will you all please, please take good care of your pets. Have a great week, everybody.